Oh, kia ora koutou Welcome back to another edition of the Department of Conversation with me, Pat Brittenden. Hello. Um, I hope you're doing well. Everything going well at your house? Interesting times at my house, actually. I've got, uh, I've got, I mean, most people who probably listen have heard me talking about my kids at some stage, but joint custody like so many, uh, so many people these days and my kids coming to me and leave me every Monday, the 50-50 thing going on. And it's been really interesting talking. I, I talked to you last week about going up to Central Otago and picking up these uh, these chairs, this furniture that I picked up. And um, what's happened of more recent times is uh, the chairs are now sitting basically in the kitchen and I haven't quite managed to get them to the lounge yet. But we love it. It's really inappropriate where they're put. They're really in the way. But my house has sort of a kitchen at one end of the room uh, and then beside it, an open plan is the dining room. And then beside it, no plan is the lounge. So it's one long, almost like a hallway that sort of, I don't know, it's probably 15 to 20 metres long and, you know, four metres wide, like one big long room. And at the moment, they're sort of sitting in the middle between the kitchen and the dining room. Um, and so we, we're just constantly sitting in them, talking to each other, because it's a nice place to be if someone's in the kitchen or someone's at the dining room table. And so I have a, a conversation going on yesterday with Miss 14, who, um, it's it's not that, it's really interesting being a dad, being a male, and hearing your 14-year-old daughter talk about uh, teenage girls and how they can be nasty to each other, and having that conversation where you kind of go, well, you know, without trying to pigeonhole anyone on this day and age, everyone's unique and individual and all very special. Uh, but boys tend to punch each other in the face and then they're best friends again next week. Girls tend to do everything they can to tear apart emotionally, mentally uh, their friends, and then it's harder to become friends again the following week. <sighs> so as a dad trying to learn all that and figure that out and understand when to give advice, and when to stay out of it, it's an interesting journey. Anyway, the, the the seats are doing well in the wrong place of my house, but serving a good purpose. And then all of last night, she's playing the ukulele in those seats, so I couldn't move them again still. Hey, um, speaking of giving advice today, uh, she's known as the debt-free diva. Tracy Hemingway is joining us. A uh, spectacular young woman, uh, 27 years old, when she paid off $100,000 worth of debt, uh, is now helping other people. Uh, learn about their debt and how to get through it. I'm, I'm probably paraphrasing that very poorly, but we have a good chat with Tracy for an hour and you can get all the information from her next that will be coming up. Um, yeah, and if you want to find out more about her, debtfreediva.co.nz. Um, yeah, how to be 27 and pay off 100 grand with the debt. Ah, I wish. Here's Tracy Hemingway. I think we're live. I always look this way, and it looks very, very rude, I know, to a person that I'm talking to, that I'm always looking off over here. Hi, Tracy. Hi. <laughs> uh, Debt-free diva, uh, Tracy Hemingway of the famous Hemingway clan. I'm just kidding, you know. Um, joining us today, have a bit of a chat, I guess, about life, the universe, and everything, and debt, which seems to be the, uh, the thing you are traveling the internet and media universe with helping people with how are you hi good yes debt is definitely my um strong well paying off debt is my strong point right right hey well listen um why don't we just rip into it i know that your story is out there a little bit in a few newspaper articles and television articles and stuff but why don't you just kind of give us the synopsis of the whole 
the big part of your story that seems to be out there is, uh, you know, you're sort of uh, tw- are you 27 now, still 27 now, or you have you have you big turned the big 28 by now? All right, so 28 now. But the previous three years, you paid down a shit ton of debt, um, and that's sort of what your story has been about. I'd like to talk about that, but I'd also like to know a bit more about you. Um, because I think a lot of our attitudes and stuff towards money, either when we treat it poorly, like maybe you were before you started paying it down, or well, can often re- be reflected also in our upbringing and what we saw our parents and that kind of thing do as well. So why don't you give us the the, the synopsis starting from how the hell did you get $100,000 into debt when you were 24? And, um, and then tell us about paying it off. All right. So um, when I, I moved out of home when I was 17, and when I was 18, I was presented the opportunity to own my own business, um, which I jumped on. So I'm a very enthusiastic person. I have more energy than most. So I was like, yeah, I totally got this. I can do this. Um, so I jumped, went ahead and did that. Now, unfortunately, I didn't have very good advisors around me at the time. Um, I There was a lot of social pressures from the people, like my customers from the business to, you know, keep being better, doing better. So I was investing money that I didn't have into the business. So I just kept racking up debt. Like I just, people ask me all the time, like how, how do the banks allow it? I I honestly would just go to them and say, I need another $5,000 in my credit card and they would give it to me. Wow. And I was just, I mean, I had no concept of money management or I'd done a year of accounting at university and I was like, yeah, sweet. I can do this could not do it um so yeah and and the business also wasn't making money so i was i was using a lot of the money to live what was well. the business what, what 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 did you start up uh i was coaching american style cheerleading okay that's uh that's a <laughs> that's a unique one so somewhere are you based in auckland hamilton hamilton so somewhere in hamilton you were kind of running a cheerleading school yeah yeah big a big big demand for that in hamilton people learning to do flip-flops down the side of a rugby field uh it was competitive cheerleading so a two and a half minute routine with throws and lifts and flip-flops and whatnot um but i actually had four gym locations one in hamilton one in Tauranga, one in rotorua one in cambridge wow so, yeah i had about 500 kids across wow that sounds really successful yeah, it, uh, in theory, it should have. But when you come down to like child safety laws and stuff, you had to have X amount of coaches per class, like per X amount of kids. Um, so it was never going to break even because if you stack a class with more and more kids, then you'd have to get another coach, which then comes with additional overheads. Well, what so. was it a was it the kind of business like you obviously purchased the business or started the business did you was it something that you bought off someone or something that you just started and built literally from the ground up um it was a it was a franchise um that was given to me given as a gift. so it sounds like what you're saying is that model can't work i mean was there a way that it could have worked and and you just didn't quite nail it down because it sounds like you're saying more kids more adults more adults more cost more cost never break even is it an impossible business to actually make profitable um i think if it wasn't a franchise it would work right 
So because for yeah. people who don't know, there'd be franchise fees in there, which means money coming out of your back pocket going to the franchisee, the person, personal company who owns the branding for the business around the country, if not the world. Yeah. But then on top of that, there's things in franchise agreements that I think people um, don't realize, like you have to buy supplies from certain places, so you can't get them cheaper. Um, you have to uh, align with certain marketing and branding. So I was always restricted in the costs that, that I, the associated costs. And that's, uh, and, and often, and so often franchise businesses will then charge a premium on those as well. So, you know, if you can, if you're, if you're a, a business that runs a movie theater, you got to buy the right boxes for the popcorn from the suppliers who are also the franchise holders rather than sourcing them for yourself off, um, you know, AliExpress or something at one tenth the price. So they clip the ticket, franchise models clip the ticket everywhere. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, a, it's a hard one to be profitable. And, and some of them are super successful. Like if you look all around the place, um, there's franchises everywhere. Um, yeah, I just think the business model, because of the nature of the business, I think um, as a franchise, it wasn't going to work. Right. All right. Okay. So that's a, that kind of answers the where did the big chunk of debt come from? That you it wasn't making money. You were borrowing more money. You were using the money you were borrowing to live off as well. Um, I'm not trying to rush through it, but it sounds like at 23, 24, you realized 100K worth of debt. Yeah, so at 24, um, what actually actually started the spiral was I got a tumor in my throat. So then I was like, "Mm, it's not healthy. Um, So I went to a business advisor, an independent business advisor, and I was like, look, I wanna try to get out of this. you know, I'm ready for a nine to five. I'm now unhealthy, blah, blah, blah. And that's when we wrote it all down. And he's like, did you realize this is how much debt you actually have? Which wow. I did not. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, then we started going through all the options of bankruptcy. Um, because it like, it's astronomical. The amount of like, it's just nine. It was, it was $94,000 um, on 20% interest. So it was just insane. Anyway, the insolvency officer that I went and saw now reflecting back on this, I don't know if this is like uh, law or if she just said it to pull my heartstrings, but she was like, Oh, well, you're going to have to get rid of your dog, um, to go bankrupt. Cause it's a luxury item and they cost money. That sounds like a bit of a wives tale to me, but anyway, keep going. Yeah. Yeah, but like at the time, I didn't know any better. Yeah. Right. So now I'm like, okay, well, I think that that's rubbish, because um, I've had a few people say that they managed to keep their pets, etc., which is fine. But I could only go off the information that I was given at the time, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I decided that I was going to keep my dog and I was going to pay it all back. So they told me it would take me 16 years, and it took me three. Wow, that's almost <laughs> unbelievable. I'm um I'm a big fan, and I've just started to go down a um a rabbit warren on YouTube of the panel show out of um the UK called Would I Lie to You? Don't know if you know it, but comedians come out and they state a fact, and then the opposite panel has to figure out whether they're telling the truth or not. What you've just said, I mean, 
might be different for these people who are in the show because obviously they're wealthy celebrities. But for your average person to say I got rid of ninety four thousand dollars in three years feels like a pretty um, tall tale. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't sound very believable. So tell us about it. How did that? How did that happen? How did you get through that? Um, well, first of all, I sold any asset that was available. Like I sold everything, absolutely everything. So I moved from a three bedroom house into a flat as well. So like a one bedroom into a flat. Um, so instantly my living costs went from $300 a week rent plus power plus blah, blah, blah to $135 a week, including power essentials and internet. Um, and then of course I just sold everything in that house, like everything that couldn't go to the flat. So there was a decent chunk. Uh, well, when I say decent chunk, it was like four grand or something like that. And then it's not, it's not, it's not that decent. Five percent of you did. No, it was um, a month's worth of minimum repayments or something stupid at the time. But anyway, then I went and got myself a job in sales. So this is the big thing. Most people, because um, I did a lot of side hustling as well. So that's the big story that everybody likes to pick up on is all the side hustles. They forgetting that. I went and got myself a job in sales. And not only that, but I was doing incredibly well. Like um, I was billing 200% of my target most months and it was on unlimited commission. So I was just like churning numbers. Because this is the thing, right? And I'm, and I'm looking down because I'm right. I'm doing numbers as I'm talking to you. So call it call it $90,000 over three years. So that's 30000 a year. That's 600 bucks a week paying off debt. There are many people in the country who don't even earn 600 bucks a week. So paying that off, um, you must, yeah, as you're saying, you must have had an amazing job or an amazing ability to earn income um, for many who, who couldn't do that. Is it a bit of a luxury that you could even attempt to pay this off because of you know who you are and the skill set you had, whereas others just it wouldn't even be possible? Um, yes and no. I think my circumstances were very different as well. So I like don't have a partner or kids or anything. Um, yeah, they're fucking so expensive. I, those those kids are those they'll they'll <laughs> empty a bank pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, that's how. That's one way to get into debt, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I do understand that everybody's situations are different, and I now work with clients who. Um, it's it's funny because they call themselves like the average Joe, but I'm average too. Like I'm just a person, but I went and got myself into circumstances that allowed me to pay off the debt. And I worked hard. Like it wasn't, it wasn't easy. And even getting a job in sales, like with unlimited commission was very hard. Who were you working for? Who were you selling for? I can't say. Probably. Oh, really? <laughs> no. uh, okay. What industry then? What industry was it in? corporate what does that mean i mean like telecommunications like retail like what was it like like the industry it was in can you at least say that um corporate can like uh i don't know how far <laughs> why out of interest no i don't want really to tell if you can't tell but why can't you say who it was is it because you're because not because they're their HR department has been on my case before. So I have to be careful so, because I'm talking okay. about my income. Right. I don't want, yeah, okay. it's contract. So, the, so you don't want to reveal that company X had these. Um, I <laughs> well, I, I guess it wouldn't be proper to say company X had this 
scheme for their sales reps that's actually that's private and confidential to that business i get it all right anyway so we'll move on but obviously it was a it was a fairly well-paid job it would have to be to be able to do this and as you say working hard and hitting targets set before you above and beyond gave you a a a double hit back on a well-paid job yeah so i was actually doubling my income wow So my base yeah my base salary is your was your average you know i started on less than 50k a year yeah base salary so people think that i just walked into this six-figure income i didn't at all i had a very very small base salary and then i just worked very hard so 100k a year but there there you go there's a there's a good that's a you know two two grand a week before tax it's it's a way to start paying down some debt or alternatively doing some savings so excellent good on you yeah and then of course came the side hustles so i was working multiple i still am working multiple jobs as well like contracting jobs so i like literally you name it i've probably done it i was a face painter i was contracted to do that i was a dog walker i've done uber eats lime juicing um house sitting the list is endless just anything that any like i would keep searching you know seek work from home jobs from seek and trade me and facebook and anytime somebody needed someone to do those odd one-off jobs i'd put my hand up and off i went like literally anything gardening gardening needed this weekend yeah wow excellent that's pretty cool so the the sales job was that basically a nine to five monday to friday giving you weekends and evenings if you needed to yeah, it was seven thirty to four. So, okay. and and there's no option to increase the hours. Right, but that's pretty. I mean, finishing at four also gives you an evening and and obviously the weekend. So, so many people who are uh, various jobs are on call and stuff work six day weeks or are on call on the weekends. That would be a, a more problematic situation to work weekends and stuff. But obviously for you, it was it was great. Yes, and also living in Hamilton meant my travel time to and from work was ten minutes maximum. Not. In- not in some cities where it takes you just an hour to get to work. Yep. And cost so, of par- and cost of petrol, cost of parking, all that kind of thing as well. Did you go to did you go down the path of uh, you know, public transport and that as well to save money or did you stick with your vehicle? I walked to work. All right. Well that's even better. There's the no 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 better public transport than Shanks's pony, as my old mum used yeah. to say. <laughs> um yeah, so I, I was driving a very expensive car when I first um that's a different, that's another story in itself. But I was driving a very expensive car when I first had the debt. Um, and then nearly two years ago, I sold it and bought a Suzuki Swift. So, uh, so I sold a BMW twin mm-hmm. turbo and bought a Suzuki Swift. So right. that was like another nine grand off the debt as well. Suzuki Swift's pretty cool cars. I like the little, there's a little 1600 manual. I think it's the STI. I'd totally buy one of those. They're a great little car. Mine's a 1.3, I think. So she doesn't take off in a hurry. (laughs) (laughs) But so it's one of these things, isn't it? When you you start to look around, um, something does a job. I've been talking to a friend about in-ceiling ventilation systems recently. And, you know, there's HRV and there's DVS and there's one that's based out of Auckland called Healthier. And I think Healthier is the is the best, you know. Um, I don't have any affiliation or association with them, but because I live in Dunedin now, I can't have it. And I say to my friends, uh, because it's a conversation that's come up fairly commonly, that, you know, um, 
who are looking at getting these in-ceiling ventilation systems, I'm like, they all basically do the same thing. They all take the hot air out of the ceiling and they push it down, giving positive pressure into the... So they all do the same thing, they just do it slightly differently. I feel like it's kind of the same with vehicles. You know, they all kind of get you from point A to point B, you sit behind a wheel. Um, yeah, you know, like I drove up into Central the other day and picked up um, some uh, furniture, so it was nice to have a V6 SUV to pull a trailer. But other than the odd thing, most vehicles, if not all vehicles, kind of do the same thing. So spending a massive amount of money is just a luxury if you don't need to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, my, my Swift's done pretty well. I can fit um, seven Lime scooters, I think is my <laughs> top goal there. Yeah. That's how much I managed to fit. She, she definitely doesn't take off from any intersection in a hurry with seven <laughs> Lime scooters. I tell you that. Is that a part of the journey? Is that a part of the journey going, I mean, twin turbo BMW obviously is a dream car for a lot of people, but going from an attitude of I want, I'll have, to an attitude of what do I need and how can I fit that need? Absolutely. So my entire mind, mindset changed completely, but it had to. So I had to do it quite quickly. So I, I, I now work with people and help them change it slowly because some people it's just too much to make such a big drastic change so suddenly. Um, but I had to, like my, my minimum repayments right at the beginning was something ridiculous, like $3,200 a month. Wow. Wow, so, uh, I, so I, six, 800 bucks a week, but give or take. Yeah. Which is your whole salary gone, the whole 50 grand is gone, just in that. Yep. <laughs> and you're not obviously still working as the, in that sales team. But is no. is the work you're doing now helping other people, is that the side hustle or is that the main gig? No, no. So my main gig, I'm a territory manager now. What does that mean? A, oh, so I go from Taupo to Kaitaia meeting with clients and uh, it's, it's a lot less pressure mm -hmm. uh, than a hard sales role, which is what I was doing. And I'm now on the road, so mm -hmm. I'm out and about all the time. Um, and it's in an industry that, directly supports our dairy industry okay so um i get to hang out with animals all day nice it's fun and you got to keep your so, dog so yeah who hates the farm that's hilarious <laughs> and um you so tell me about the day you paid off the last cent oh i cried <laughs> oh so it was actually a year ago on friday oh happy anniversary um, Thank you. Yay, one year. Um, my auntie was here from Perth. It was my brother's wedding a couple of days later. And I drove up to my mum's house, had my laptop and everything, and transferred the money and then cried for a little while. And then we popped a bottle on my way and then realised we didn't actually like my way. <laughs> and then um, we just had, like, a nice dinner. And it was quite um, – it actually took me, like, a couple of weeks to get used to it. So once the next couple of paychecks came in, it was almost like, what do I do now? Like, I've got this extra money. I don't know what to do with it. So how long did you keep that um, that drive up after it was paid off? Because once it paid off, if you just stayed in that lifestyle, then you'd be banking 30 grand a year. Did you, did you slow down because you could after that? Or did you keep doing like that for six months to get some money behind you? What happened then? I'm still doing it. So okay. I still do seven side hustles and a main job. Wow. Um, but I'm saving for a house now. So I have 70 grand towards a house deposit. Yep. 
How do you how do you feel about uh, mortgages? Because that's obviously a fairly large debt for a debt-free diva to have. Oh well, then we just do it again, pay it off, right? Yeah, but that's what you'll do. You're not gonna. You're not. You're not um, attempting to save up like enough to buy a house. No, not with the way. Um, originally, I would have liked to. Wow. Um, the way that house prices are going. Um, at the moment, um, yeah, I think it's an unrealistic expectation to be able to come up with that much yeah. whilst paying somebody else's investment. Yeah. Look, even here in Dunedin, which is a, a much uh, tamer market than Hamilton, which again, Hamilton is tamer than Auckland. But even in Dunedin, you look at the property values over the last 12 months and houses are going up. Small houses are going up a few thousand dollars a month. Larger houses are going up five to seven thousand dollars a month. And as one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, because I had a, a mate of mine in Auckland who had a philosophy of not being in debt when he was younger. And he was like, oh, I'm just going to save up and I'm going to, you know, we're going to buy a house and we're going to buy it outright, have no debt. And I remember he came to this realization, nothing nothing to do with me, I'm not saying I influenced him at all, but he came to this realization that actually he could use the debt to make money. And then he got his head around it. And now he owns like four or five million dollars worth of property. You know, he's got a very large mortgage to go along with it, but the houses that he's bought have appreciated in value. He's then used that to buy another house, which is appreciated in value. And so actually going into debt, using the debt, has enabled to build his wealth. So I wanted to get your take on that and get your take on, um, like, you know, house, and even in Dunedin, going up $5,000 a month, you'd have to be saving $5,000 a month just to keep up with the inflation price of the houses at the moment. And it makes more sense to me to, to get a mortgage and go into debt than it does to try and save up ahead of the, the growth rate of house prices at the moment. Yeah, well, money's so cheap at the moment as well. Yeah, true. Um, so interest rates, you can get them, what, down to... 1.99 at some banks yep so and there's honest like not a lot of point leaving your money in the bank either because you're not earning I'm not sure if you've seen the most recent interest rates but uh <laughs> they're a bit laughable yeah um so I, I i fully agree with your friend as well using debt to help build wealth is is another option so my plan is to get into a house pay it off in as quick as I can, which will be about four or five years, and then rent that out and buy the next house and then pay that off. Would, so creating passive income along the way. Wouldn't it make more sense? Uh, so I've bought and sold houses for quite a while. I've had rentals. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've played that game. I'm not currently at the moment. Um, although I am still a little bit, I have boarders that live with me that help pay the mortgage and stuff. So, But wouldn't it make more sense to pay off Let's say you're in. Uh, I'm not sure what the house prices in in um, Hamilton, but let's say it's a seven hundred thousand dollar house. I would assume that's a fairly average house in Hamilton, just basing on the Auckland prices and the Dunedin prices, somewhere in between. I would think. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you've got your hundred thousand dollar deposit. You get in there, you get up to three hundred. Say you pay half of it off, so you got three hundred and fifty thousand dollar owing on it then you use that to buy the next house so don't pay the whole thing off you pay half of it off and then you buy the next house there used to be a formula that i think it was um one cash cow for every three negatively geared houses so you'd buy a you know seven bedroom house that you could get 
five hundred bucks a week more than the what the mortgage was, and then you'd buy some that were negatively geared to lose it. But overall, over your whole property portfolio, you were still at least breaking even, or if not, just a little bit negatively geared to you know for the tax take at the end of the year. But uh, so what I'm I guess I'm trying to ask is, are you set on that model that you want to pay a house off and then go on, or are you, are you open to the idea that once you get the debt on one house to a point where another house could also work in the formula, you might be open to that, or is it really debt aversion? Um, no, it's just lack of knowledge at the moment. That's all I know. Once again, we go back to the you only you, you can only base plans off what you know. So once I once I get into the house, then I'll start. The research on right. okay where where we're going to go now it's like it's like when people and I'm, and I'm not saying winning lotto is a good plan for someone's financial thing but if people win lotto and they have a half million dollars well let's say they have a million dollars they're much more sensible to buy three houses worth a million each each of them with a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar deposit it means they've got a big debt but they've also got three appreciating assets to then you know, in five years, sell one of them and pay the mortgage off on the other two. And then they've got two freehold houses rather than buying just one when you win your lotto or you, or you get your inheritance or your lump sum of money or whatever it is. So that's still using debt to kind of make money. And look, I I, I, I didn't think this would turn into me kind of saying to you what I think because I've, you're the expert here, not me, but I'm interested I'm interested as to what you're... What you're I'm interested to see whether this debt-free thing is a, is like, like I said before, like an aversion, like I just hate debt, I don't want to go near it. Or whether it's the smart thing because you had bad debt to get out of, but you're open to using debt to, to further your financial situation as well. Yeah, so I, I have strong aversions against consumer debt. Yeah. So credit cards, high purchase, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, no, car loans, all that kind of stuff. No, strong aversions to that. When you move into the housing market, I think um, in mortgages are a different kettle of debt altogether yeah like different different philosophy on it um especially as i say with with money being so cheap at the moment and i mean no one's traveling anywhere so you can spend money in new zealand as well on houses and rent and things like that mm-hmm. you s- um yes you say you work with people the people that you work with like, I mean, I mean, I, I was an idiot when I was 18. I got my first credit card and I got, you know, seven or $8,000 in debt buying ridiculous things because I was a, an idiot. Um, the, people you, okay. the people you're working with, um, do you find that they're, is it the consumer debt that they're having the problems with? Or are you talking yeah. to people coming in who, because like, you know, when the, the global financial crisis happened in 2007, 2008, people were getting into strife with their mortgages because of these supersized mortgages. People were actually being given mortgages by banks where they shouldn't have been. That was actually almost like a consumer debt. It was like, here, have this house. doesn't matter if you can't pay to, uh, afford to pay for it. So the people coming to you now, is there still issues around mortgages and stuff, or is it more the consumer debt, or is it all of the above? Uh, it's more consumer consumer debt and budgeting, budget lifestyles, like changing your lifestyle to suit a budget, basically. Um, I guess for me, because a lot of what I coach is based on personal experience. Yeah. So I haven't done the mortgage personal experience just yet. But the one thing I do advise people is I know it's tough and I know it's really rubbish, but keep saving as much as you can for a deposit 
like I I I often see people comment on Facebook and and whatnot saying that it's rubbish that the bank won't give them a mortgage you know 95% mortgage I'm like well actually it's sort of looking out for your best interests at, at heart um because you don't want to get into a position where you can't afford to live or you can't afford food or you can't afford whatever because your mortgage is so large and then all of a sudden the interest rates have gone out. Yeah. Yeah. um, Do you accept that there are some people who don't have enough money coming in to save? Do you think that those that there is a real serious issue there and that's a real problem? Or do you lean on the more on the side of, well, yes, there are some people who don't bring enough money to save, but they, they could go out and change their circumstances? I think that there's people who have been given a, a bad hand um, and are in a position. I think, personally, I think the fact that you've got a family on two, same, you know, middle income earners so not your minimum wages but not your six figures um and the fact that they still can't get a mortgage or get a house is is ridiculous why do you think that is why why let's say there's two people earning let's just say 70k well let's say 75 so the household's bringing 150k why can't they get a mortgage uh sometimes they don't have a deposit yeah in which case um because once again, like if if you go to places like Hamilton's starting to get bad, but no one is near ba- as bad as Auckland. But if rent is already taking up such a giant chunk, it does. Yeah, see, because in my head, I've also got contradicting thoughts on that as well. Well, tell us about them. I mean, that's what we do here. We kind of just talk shit and we get it all out there. And, <laughs> and at the end, it's like, well, what that means is if we've got contradictory thoughts, it means we haven't quite come to the end of our process yet and maybe not no one's suggesting that's going to happen in this podcast yeah well so for me i like in auckland yes house prices are very expensive yes rents are very expensive is there some way that you could maybe move out to one of the lower areas like for a little bit or can your kids share room and you get a border in for a little bit to help save or there is ways outside the box like the thing is with extreme saving or extreme debt payoff, like what I did, is you've got to live this life that you don't think is going to happen. Hang on, let's, say that again. Let, let's expl- explain that again. You have to live a life that you don't think can happen. What do you mean? So um, most people have this idealistic that they'll live in a four-bedroom house yep. with... A dog, 2.4 you know, kids, white picket fence, yada, yada, yada. Big yeah, screen big yeah. screen TV, nice, two nice cars in the driveway. Yeah, yep, got it. Got an iPhone sort of scenario, but like with with I mean, house prices are, are a great example. With the rate of them increasing, like, can you move into a smaller house and your kids can share a, a bedroom? But most people don't want to make those sacrifices for extreme saving. Now, I'm not talking about the people that live in poverty or below the poverty line or have been dealt like a really crap hand. Yeah. I'm talking about the those middle ones that are like, oh, this is so unfair. And I'm like, okay, well, can we do without everyone having an iPhone? Can we move maybe into a different area and catch a bus into work? Um, yeah, and I mean, I saw it my, the entire way through my journey. I'll be like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to walk to work. Oh, why don't you walk? Like, 
blah, 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 take your car. It's not even that far, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, yeah, okay, but I'm going to walk to work. <laughs> or my favorite, uh, aren't you going to have a rest? Like, why are you working so many jobs? It's like, because I have something, like I've got a goal to achieve. Yeah. And I do rest. Like, I, I, I just want to throw that out there. Please, people, don't work <laughs> yourself into the ground. <laughs> um, but, but I sort of like schedule them in. So I know when, like, so that I don't burn out. So what you make you make sure you've got like a weekend a month or whatever you schedule to do nothing is that sort of what you're saying? Yes. Now what yeah. now, now be honest what is it a weekend or what or is it a day a month or is it what is your schedule this this relaxation time that you're telling everyone not to worry about what is your relaxation time how often is it? Oh, it's every Saturday morning so you'll never find me out of my pajamas before midday on a Saturday. I just vegetate and and just do whatever I feel like doing. Nothing scheduled, just sleep in, lounge around. I flat with two boys and they um, are both working on a Saturday. So I just eat some crap food and watch some Grey's Anatomy and <laughs> lounge around and do nothing until about midday. So Saturday morning is, so you have half a day off a week and you plan that for that to be Saturday morning. It would suck if you slept in one Saturday morning. You wake up and your alarm didn't go off and it's like 11.30 and then it's like, crap, there's my day off gone. <laughs> well, the great thing about most of the side hustles that I do is that I get to choose when I do them. So right. if I feel myself burning out, I'll be like, okay, I just need to take some time now and just take a step back and go and read a book or something. What do you do to relax? I mean, other than like, because I would, I suspect that, I mean, you'd still must see your friends and stuff from time to time, which wouldn't all fit into 10 a.m. Saturday morning, please. Um, <laughs> what else do you do to relax? Like, if you are feeling that kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm working a bit too much coming on. And I would think leading up to Christmas, most people feel that stress anyway. So if you're already having lots and lots and lots of time filled up with work, I don't know, does it become more stressful leading up to Christmas? But if you are going to have some downtime, what is it? Uh, I read a book. I read and fiction. So I I also read nonfiction when I'm learning new stuff normally for my business. Um, but I always make sure like every night before bed, I do 30 minutes of nonfiction reading. Okay. Sorry, of fiction reading. Um, just to unwind, get my mind in somebody else's life for 30 minutes. Um, I do hang out with my friends. I see my family. So I'll schedule in dinners like, oh, let's catch up for dinner on a Sunday or um, lunches, go out for lunches. Um, always always on a grab one deal though because <laughs> we can't be spending too much money here. <laughs> um, but most of my friends and stuff are really understanding of my frugal lifestyle as well. So, and it's contagious. Um, and every Sunday I'll walk my dog. So I make sure that she goes to the ballpark every Sunday. Right. So you've got little breaks here and there through your week that you schedule in. Yeah. Um, do you ever have concern that sort of you're missing a part of life? So, and I'm and I'm not suggesting this is you, but you know, there's that old adage that the old man on his deathbed never says, "Oh, I wish I'd spent another hour at work." They typically say, I wish I'd spent another hour with my kid or I wish I'd spent another hour in the garden or I wish I'd spent another hour at the, you know, at, the, at the football stadium, whatever. Is there ever a concern for you that sort of the work and the money and that is good and it's good to be focused on your savings and your goals, but life in general is just passing you by? No, 
um, I'm creating a life that I want to live. So it's not actually just about the money. Like Debt Free Diva, the whole concept of the business is to help others. So I just really want to help others not be in the same position or get themselves out or just not feel completely helpless. Um, Yeah, so definitely I'm creating a life I want to live. So I enjoy my job. I really enjoy my job now. Um, yeah, and I get to do everything I want to do. I mean, I traveled, I still travel during my debt-free journey as well. Um, obviously I can't travel right now. <laughs> um, yeah. It must be, it must be quite nice though. If your job is giving you that kind of kaitaia down to topo sort of travel, then you've got, you know, time to see a good portion of the North Island. And, and I imagine that's not all. Even though you're kind of based in the middle in Hamilton, that you spend. If you go to Kaitai, you're obviously staying there for the night. You're not driving back again. It might be. It gives you a little bit of sort of outside the office time and a little bit of travel around the country. Yes, yeah. I think that's why I was so desperate for a change. It's because I felt quite chained behind a desk, and I was getting itchy. Like yeah. I'd, I'd done everything I could do at my last job. I'd hit the top. I'd maximized. You know, I was billing so much. Um, I couldn't go anywhere else. I couldn't strive for anything else. Right. So you'd, you'd reach the end of that journey. You'd achieve what you needed yeah. to achieve. And so is your income now uh, similar to what it was when you were really driving that debt down, even though you've changed jobs? Uh, so my base salary is higher, but it's harder to earn commission. So I have right. taken quite a big pay cut at the moment. Um, but, I mean, I'll build that back up. Well, I guess that also addresses the question I had about life passing you by. I mean, I guess if someone was wholly and solely focused on the financial side of things, they wouldn't have left the job that was more lucrative to a job that sounds like it's a little bit more lifestyle than the previous job, even though maybe it's still a sort of nine-to-fiver. Yeah, and um, it was for a smaller company as well. I, so it's not large corporate. It's um, I have a very helpful... I'm helpful by nature. So I like helping people. So working for a smaller company means I know the directors and I know who I'm working for and you can help achieve their goals. Mm-hmm. You're part of the journey. You're not just this cog in the wheel in the back. And how do they feel about you doing this side hustle? Cause this side hustle has, you know, got your names into papers and on television networks and on crappy little podcasts and that kind of stuff. How do they feel about you doing this other thing that's got, like I, I spoke to someone today about the podcast I was doing, and they were like, "Oh, I've, I've heard her story. I've heard her story." So you know, it's uh, there is an element of notoriety that comes with this. How does your your main job, your main income provider, feel about you doing this? They're very supportive, very supportive. As long as I do my job, still wish I am. Um, yeah, no, they the directors and my immediate boss have all contacted me um, specifically after I was on TV to let me know that they were behind me 100%. Nice. It was funny. I was at a networking event for work last night and we're sitting at a table and then I had to talk. And um, the lady next to me turned to me and goes, were you on TV a few weeks ago? (laughs) (laughs) Like, yes, that was me. (laughs) So, yeah, sometimes the paths do cross. Like some of my customers obviously saw me on TV or in the paper. Um, but I don't see there's no issue with it. Yeah, and I guess a smart a smart business would go like, uh, as you say, as long as it doesn't take away from the role this person has here, 
as long you know any notoriety someone gets outside of the workplace is only beneficial to that workplace. So it's good to hear that they're supportive of it. That would be the the smart thing, uh, smart thing to do. I think when you say you like helping people, you're debt free diva, and let's show people the uh, people who are watching us. Let's show you people the the website uh, debtfreediva.co.nz. Although I, I I'm a bit dyslexic, and I sometimes read that as debtfreediva.co.nz, but that's just a that's just me. Debtfreediva.co.nz. Um, you. It sounds. I don't want to be a bit. I don't want to be uncouth, but I'm like, do you make money off that? Is that a paid thing, or is that more of the help thing? Uh, no, that's a paid thing. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So that's. So you're working as a financial advisor on some level. Is it? Is your financial advisory your help in that area have any kind of connection to any kind of official qualification, or is it more based on your personal experience? Uh, so it's financial coaching. Got to be very careful. Right. Not advising. Right. 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 Um, right. And I don't want to be a financial advisor. So I don't want to sit that course. People ask me all the time because what, as soon as you sit that course, you're stuck with these guidelines. But I don't talk about investing or any of that kind of stuff. Um, what I do is the mental like processing of paying off debt and helping people curate budgets that still incorporate fun, um, still suit their lifestyles, but help them achieve goals. Nice. And have, uh, do you call them clients? The people you see, people you help, your clients. Have you, um, you know, got a got a tote up? Have you seen good success in them? Have you got any examples you can tell us? Any stories you can tell us about the people you work with? One of my clients, um, I saw her last night. She um, for something else, and she let me know that she just bought a house in Rotorua. Wow. <laughs> so she was in debt. Uh, I she got in touch with me at the start of COVID bit of an SOS and um, we set a plan in place and she achieved it 18 months earlier than we thought. So it was great. So as a lot of this, let's go back to your website here. As a lot of this, and I know you've got some things people can do through the shop. Um, and I, and I'm, we haven't talked about this yet, so I guess I'm asking you whilst I'm looking at it, is a lot of this sort of, or you've got debt trackers. So I was going to use the word tracking. Is a lot of this sort of tracking your goals um, setting a goal and aiming for it. And if people want to know more about it on uh, debtfreediva.co.nz, there is a shop that you can go and have a look up, a bunch of trackers you've got there. But is that is that a part of it? Is it a part of it, the sort of organizing, setting a target and trying to achieve it? Yes. Yeah. So like you'll see behind me, I've got my trackers. Yeah. And I've set all my goals for the beginning of the year. And then I color in each line as I start achieving that goal. It's sort of the equivalent of uh, outside the church looking for the fundraising for the roof, the the thermometer thing going up. That's sort of yeah. what you're doing. Or the, yeah. pri- or the primary school, if, if the church is the wrong analogy. Yeah. yeah very so that's actually keeping people on task and on track. And I know um, I've uh, there's something about finances or whatever it is, having a tangible... Um, visual response to it feels amazing now whether it's you've like like for me creating digital content and you see likes going up it's a visual sort of thing or or or, or that i imagine that that would be something that would keep a lot of people focused i know for me when i have a certain amount of money in my bank account i don't like to go below because i just like to have it sitting on that mark i don't for some reason going under it feels like i don't have enough sitting in my savings um it's an arbitrary figure 
but it's a tangible figure that I can see that if I go under it, I feel like, oh gosh, it's a bit tight. Whereas it's not massively tight, but yeah, that visual cue, I think, is always an important thing. Yes, yeah. So that, that, that's a lot of what I, what got me through. So that board that you see, that's what I look at every day. Every morning, that's what I get up and look at. I'm like, cool, right, where am I, how am I tracking today? Wow. It's what am I doing today help me? It sounds kind of like... Um, someone who's on a um you know like on a weight loss journey or something and that but it's the other way they're trying to lose something whereas you're trying to gain something but you know they track it and they they get on the scales every morning and they go oh i'm a i'm 300 grams lighter or whatever it is and it's a way they can actually keep themselves in check and keep up to date with what they're doing sort of thing i guess it doesn't matter yeah. what it is i've used that example it's a tangible way to keep track of yourself visually yes and because um, the other thing that I'm on a mission to do, which is why I'm out in the media and everything, is just open the conversation about finances because it's still this really closed caption, like taboo subject that people don't want to, you know, people really struggle to say that they're struggling yeah. or that they're paying off debt or they can't afford something or they don't want to do something because it's out of their price range. And I just want to be able to open that conversation how has um, COVID changed this conversation, if at all? Massively. So um, I, I often, because I'm very active on Instagram, on my Instagram, it's like a personal blog, and um, I get people message me all the time with their little money stories, money wins, all those kind of things. And I definitely think COVID, because the because it's become normal to talk about your finances, I think that that's helped massively drive it, drive the conversation along. Right. So COVID has, you're saying has helped because people are now more open about their finances. I think so. I mean, you know, it's no secret that people have lost jobs. So, you know, it's people are not afraid to say, unfortunately, I lost my job because of COVID. Um, you know, oh, we can't afford that. You know, we had we were on reduced incomes because of COVID, etc. Yeah, that's true. Actually, I mean, I, you think about, and I don't think this should ever be the case um, that sometimes people are a bit embarrassed when they've lost a job or lost work. But through COVID, if someone's lost work, then what what they get is sympathy, right? Rightfully mm -hmm. so, and because we're all in this thing together. So, yeah, interesting. So through this time of trial for the whole world. It's given people the opportunity to to um, share their negative experiences in a maybe a less judgmental way, be more open, yeah. it'd be easier to be open about it. Yeah, I, I always joke that the you know how they say keeping up with the Joneses. Yep. Yeah, I, the new the new Joneses are broke, so everyone wants to keep up with the frugal Joneses. <laughs> right. Yeah. Shucks. That's true. Actually, have you seen an uptick in clientele? since uh since COVID, or, or is this fairly new the kind of getting clients on board to talk about uh money it's very new okay. so obviously i was only three a year ago yeah, um right. i launched it in february and COVID hit us in march <laughs> how many clients would you have ish. uh six. Oh, six. Well, there you go yeah you don't even know to need to go to the ish you can just tell us um i'm looking at your uh instagram right now people who are listening to us will have to jump on the uh, feed and have a look at this but um, I like, and I'm looking at this right now, we're looking at a, a page together, which was your budget shopping from last week, and I'm seeing uh, razors and carrots and chicken and bananas and 
looks like they might be a caramel milk of there or something, a bit of a treat, some chocolate, a pretty good, a pretty good feed. Not many veggies. I guess the veggies are still to come. Or are they in your garden? Is that what the debt free diva is supposed to be? But forty one dollars and fifty one cents on groceries this week. That's pretty good. And there are some treats in there as well, which is nice to see. Yes, um, I think I got. Uh, that's my grocery shop. I was off to Queenstown, so I was using veggies out of the freezer. Ah, very good, very good. And a little, and and also, Mark's it. Let's just jump back here. This is the this is for people who are still watching. This is the same, the same one. You've actually then planning. I think for me, that's the place that I, I struggle sometimes financially because I'm not a very good planner with dinners and with meals. You know, so I kind of go, what are we doing tonight? Oh, I don't know. What are we doing? Oh, I don't know. Oh, let's just, oh, we'll just do this. We'll just get, we'll just get, we'll go and get Japanese or something. So we'll I think, yeah, we'll figure it out. And I mean, most of the time it's fine because I've got stuff in the freezer, but that planning thing, I mean, again, we we're talking about you planning and having the, um, the, the, the visual representation of the goals, but also just planning your day. What am I having for lunch today? What am I having for dinner today? I mean, if you're going out to work, and you don't plan a lunch, then inevitably you're buying lunch. So that's a big, probably a big part of it as well, is it? Um, if if work's not paying for my lunch, I always try and make sure I take a packed lunch. Yeah, that's very cool. What would you find the uh, most common question asked of you is around uh, your finances, and what would be the most common question asked for people struggling themselves? Um. I get asked a lot what I do for a job, I guess, around my own finances. So I am in sales. I sort of, I have, do have to be a bit careful. Um, but yeah, around my, my own finances, I guess, I'm very open on the Instagram about it. Like if you look back, I even have posts of, you know, how much my net worth has increased that month and all that kind of stuff. So I don't really leave room for questions. <laughs> Yeah, that's like, true. So do you do you mean kind of like this one here that is just from November 16, side hustle earnings this week, week 46, the side hustle earnings were 182 bucks, 65 cents means, and is this like a bank account somewhere that you've got? Because you've said your total is 9,250, or is that just the, the running total? Running total for this year of side hustle. But if you scroll down, you'll see there's a post um, that says October numbers are in. Uh -huh. I'll bring it back so you can see it as well so you can direct me October numbers are in side hustle oh there we go there we go this one here October numbers are in uh, swipe to have a look balance increases side hustles grand house savings 7300 holiday fund 330 bucks net worth $5,803.17 and there's all yeah all your, your targets and your goals up close for people who can't see them behind you quite so clearly. Yeah, so so you're, you're, I remember um, my, my mate John Bridges who works in media at the moment built a house in Auckland and I can't remember who he wrote for, it might have been Stuff, but he wrote for stuff.co.nz or one of the other online newspapers about the process of building a house and he said to me right at the start the thing he had to do was be brutally honest. So whilst many us many of us Kiwis kind of don't want to talk about money or are a bit embarrassed by it or whatever, he was blunt as blunt can be when it comes to how much this tap cost. And so it gave a really clear indication of financially what it cost to build a house, more specifically what it cost to build his house. So I think yeah. it's it's good not to, to leave grey area like that. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm totally open. Um, I've put all like separate posts on all my different sinking funds and expenses and stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm very open with it. Um, we didn't quite get to that. What's the most common question someone like asked you about their own finances? So if someone turns up and they need help, what, what do you hear most commonly? Um, or is it not a common question? Maybe that's the answer. Everybody is so everybody is so unique. Personal finances are personal. That's why I like doing the one-on-one -on -one coaching because you can follow somebody's Instagram or my, you know, my Instagram, but my situation is different to yours. So what works for me might not work for you. So we just have to find the thing that works for the people in their situation. Mm. And if you were, so I, if you were talking to like a large group, uh, you know, like we might be right now, or certainly once people listen back to this podcast and in, in, in demand, on demand, what's some of the things that you would say to the general population about, um, you know, that consumer debt, their finances, like what are some generic type things that you like to leave people with? Um, please double, like just have a think about if you really need to put it on consumer debt. Do you really need that item? Have a sleep on it. Um, have a think about it. <laughs> uh, and if you do, hunt around for a good interest rate and the best deal. Don't just take the first thing that's given to you. And what about read those contracts? Because sometimes those contracts that people make you sign with a, an HP, a lay-by, uh, you know, a, or lay-by is not quite so bad because it's real money, but um, HP or a, or a credit card, they can be, there can be some pretty brutal balloon payments and all sorts of tricky things there in the fine print. Or um, personal loans and car loans. So if you paid off early, you get stung with all sorts of admin fees, etc. So it's always good to read up on those as well. And ask the question. Don't be afraid to ask the question. The banks, believe it or not, banks are actually there to help you. So ask. Say, this is what I'm planning on doing. Can you give me a product that suits that need? Let me, let me offer something as well from my experience. Um, I just the ask the question thing I would also say the same of retailers and um, so I'll give you two examples for me so I went into I probably shouldn't mention the name of the, the place just because they'll get inundated with people being cheeky bastards like I was but I went into a fairly you know it's a, it's a reputable appliance type um, shop that is in every part of New Zealand they, who knows they've probably got 50 outlets across the whole country and they had a big discount on and the discount was 50% off um, you know, the item. Uh, they said, here's the registered retail price, 50% off is this much. And so straight away I jumped on my phone. I had a look. I could see that other places were selling it for less than their reputable, sorry, than their registered retail price. And so I just said to the manager, I said, look, this is not the RRP for most places. And I showed him. And I said, can you do any better on the discount? And he knocked another 7% off or something. He made it 57% off. And so even though that was an advertised special, oh no, it was 5%. It was an advertised special nationwide. It was an advertised special on their website. Talking to the person, they still, he still knocked another 5% off. And I think that's often if you ask, they will come. I've got a, um, a supplier of electronic and for my studio, computer goods down here in Dunedin. And um, I, I've been here long enough and I've built up enough of a reputation with him that he just gives me stuff now and I just pay it off over you know, the weeks and months to come. So it's basically a lay-by, but he gives it to me first. And that's because the original thing is I, I built a relationship with him and then I asked. 
And I think most places, if you don't ask, you'll never know. And there's nothing wrong with being a bit cheeky because in the end, the retailer wants to sell it to you, like actually in the end, the bank wants to help you. And also, here's a final one for you, for you business people out there. Don't be scared of the IRD because in general, the IRD are also very helpful and they want to help you and do it. So, so the asking of the questions and the and the stating what you want to do. I was in Noel Leeming's uh, in the weekend and they had a, a microphone that I looked at. I didn't really need it, but I knew it could be useful to have in my kit. And it was already reduced uh, from like 250 to $200. And I just said to them, well, actually, there's lots of places selling this for $200 now. Reduce it more. And they made it 159 um, I still wasn't going to pay that for it. So I didn't buy it. But what I'm saying is asking the question got another 40 bucks off. So ask questions, I, ask, yeah. ask, ask, and be cheeky. That's what I'd say. Absolutely. Because saving a dollar, saving a dollar on lots of times is almost the same as, sorry, saving a dollar on purchasing something is almost the same as saving a dollar into the bank because that money doesn't have to leave your account to pay for the thing. Yes. So that's yeah, my, so that, that's, my uh, that's my little rant. Be cheeky, ask questions. They want to sell it to you. I always ask questions. My friends get embarrassed going into shops with me. <laughs> hey, um, the next few months, obviously you've got the debt-free diva um, a service, financial freedom on your term started up. What's happening with you uh, between sort of the next six months? Are you trying to grow this? Is that the main plan? What's, going, what's happening with you? Yep, so um, big plans actually for debt-free diva. So I've got a book in the works. Um so hopefully that'll be done and dusted in six months. I've got another book that I want to write as well. Um, I've got a short course um, that's currently going through editorial phase. So I've written it. It's now going through the editorial that people can buy to create their own, you know, people that can't afford the one-on-one coaching but still want to create their own financial plan. So roadmap to debt freedom. Um, yeah, so basically I do... I definitely want to grow it. I want to I just want to help people. I just want people to realize they're not stuck. They're not alone. I want to open the conversation. Cool. Hey, it's been lovely. And, to, want to buy a house. and you want to buy a house. <laughs> and how much How much do you think you need as a deposit to buy a house? What are you aiming for? Um, so I currently have 70. Um, and all going well, I should be able to get 500 from the bank. So... I should be able to buy a house in the next six months. Cool. So you'd be looking at like 600-ish around Hamilton. Would that, would, would that get you something? Five, 570 is what I'm looking. Right. It'll, it'll get me something, but yeah, not not the flashes. But that's okay. Everyone's got to start somewhere. Absolutely. And and there's lovely places in and around Hamilton. A nice little place, nice little two-bedroom place or three-bedroom place sort of thing. Get some... Get some uh, I was going to say to you as well, talking about getting borders in, I'm pretty sure that most banks don't take borders into, and they won't class it as income because obviously out of the boarding, but the good thing is the IOD don't class it as debt uh, income either because out of the borders comes some of their food. So there's this double-edged sword with borders that you don't pay um, tax on them legally because they're borders. That's how it's set up. But you also can't use them as income with the bank so you either have to have tenants to use as income on the bank, but then obviously you need to pay tax on that because it's a direct income. So something for uh, for, for for newbies out there to be aware of how that runs. And if you um, 
just fun fact that I actually learned last week. If you use tenants and you have less than 20% deposit, you can only use one tenant up to $150 a week income only. Oh, that's interesting because most banks that I've spoken to typically do 70%. So whatever the income the tenant is paying, they'll do 70% of it and that 30% is for their um, when the when it's not occupied they they expect it to be not occupied for 30 percent. but i guess each bank probably has their own little tweak on how they do that i guess yeah but they cap it at 150 a week also so the exciting thing i reckon for you there's lots of exciting things but you're actually done all this stuff with consumer finance and you know consumer debt and now you're going into a whole new realm of uh mortgages and learning about that side of things with being debt free so it's like you've got a book coming out but then there might be another whole new book on the way which is you know the consumer debt book and then there's the the mortgage debt book and then who knows what will come after that yeah well the the book that the first book that's coming um that i'm in the middle of writing at the moment is on side hustling so nice. it's all the secret side hustling breaking down things like the tax and how to fit fit it in and um, just my knowledge. Obviously, I've got four years of knowledge on how to fit in all these side hustles and where to find them and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think people get scared of them a little bit. Scared of the side hustle? Yeah, like they want to do something, but they don't know how. Like, I think one of the things I often hear from people about side hustles is the tax side of things as well. And that's why you find, I think there's plenty of people who use places like Trade Me or do side hustles or do gardening or whatever, and they do cash jobs because the tax is scary to them. But it's not actually that scary. If you work it out once, it's pretty much, it's not It's not a difficult thing to follow through, I don't reckon. You just need to be educated. Just bring, the, just bring them. Yeah. Oh, you can get through. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it's not, I think people get so confused because the other um, misconception is that there's, secondary tax because that was a that was eroded a little while ago so you're not actually whether you're earning three hundred thousand dollars in your main job or three hundred thousand in seven jobs um you're paying the same tax yeah yep which is the smart way to do it because how it used to be was secondary tax i think it was a because as a student i had you know three or four jobs as a lot of students do have and they'd try and charge a secondary tax on the second job you had but even though my total earnings might have only been 30 grand a year so you'd pay secondary tax, and then at the end of the year they'd give it all back to you because you hadn't yeah. re- you hadn't reached the secondary tax level. So that's much smarter doing it that way now. Hey Tracy, yeah. it's been an absolute uh, pleasure to uh, to chat to you as a, as someone who's debt free and doesn't want consumer debt. What's Santa going to bring you this year? A house? <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Could it be as a quick house? as that? Could you be looking in the next kind of four to six weeks? Um. Well, if I I got to pass my 90-day trial, so the directors of my company are quite happy with my performance so far. So if I get my letter to say I've passed by Friday, then it's going to the bank and I should be pre-approved by Christmas. Cool, man. There's the, so there you go. So you want Santa not to come down your chimney and bring you something. You want Santa to bring you a chimney, actually, yeah. and a house attached yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Can we just get on to that? That'd yeah, be good. I'm sure, no problems. Uh, the website is nz. Tracy Hemingway is the Debt Free Diva. Hey, Tracy, it's been a pleasure. It's been uh, lovely chatting to you, and um, thanks so much for giving us some time today um, here in the Department of Conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
All right, team, that's us done and dusted for another one with Tracy Hemingway, the debt-free diva. Thanks for joining us again today. I know there's lots of choices out there for you. You could choose to spend your podcasting time with probably literally millions of options. There probably is literally millions of options, but you've chosen to join it with us, so we do genuinely appreciate that. If you want to connect with us or find out more about us, you can head to the website. It's just www.thedoc.nz or just uh, look up DOCNZ uh, on Facebook. It's a great way to connect with us as well. And if you are listening to this, uh, the Facebook page, or if you look up DOC, if you look up the DOCNZ as a hashtag, you'll find us on YouTube as well. In case you've heard anything that obviously had uh, visual imagery with it and you want to see what those images are, there's two good places to go check it out. You can also follow me on Instagram and on Twitter, just at Pat Brittenden. Uh, and actually on Twitter as well, we do do the video and any clips that come out through Periscope, so you can check us out there as well. Um, hey, coming up in the next few podcasts, Emma Espiner, broadcaster, commentator, uh, did a spectacular job with the New Zealand election as one of the TV NZ commentators uh, in our election just gone. Uh, she's going to be joining us next. Also, uh, happy mum, happy child blogger, Maria Foy. Maybe I can ask Maria about the teenage daughter thing and, you know, how that all works out. Maybe. I don't know going to be joining us as well along with a plethora of other people uh, both coming in and chatting with us via Zoom Um, so stick around and like the Facebook page to find out who's coming up between now and Christmas thanks again for listening really do appreciate it stay safe wherever you are wash your hands hug a loved one uh, watch something on the telly that makes you laugh and until we see you next time hooroo